from Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide. Find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm B.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and yet here we are again. What do we do? And how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes, for it's the extremes, the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage, and the rest of us? Well, the rest of us suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort. Let's have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Welcome to this episode of Etch the Edges. Today we have our special guest, Nicole Horn, who is running for Georgia Labor Commissioner. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. We're excited to have you. So, you know, we're just going to dive right in because, you know, what we like to do here on Etch the Edges is etch those edges and do what we can to try to close the ideological divide. In order to do that, we got to get down to the brass tacks and start asking those real questions. But of course, what we want to do to kick it off is ask, who's Nicole? Oh, who's Nicole? That's a great question. Uh, I am um, I am an entrepreneur, um, and I've spent the last you know, 18 years um, building a business that um, that I sold, and it was a business that worked in higher education with adult students. So um, it's part of what attracted me to the labor department is I was constantly looking at labor data and helping universities select programs that led to jobs for adult students. So that's part of who I am. Um, I'm, uh, I'm an activist. So, and, and certainly I, I think the last four years have, uh, for a lot of Democrats, have brought out that more activist side of us. And I've been, I've led, co-led a chapter of Indivisible, the Indivisible Fifth, named after our fabulous Congressman John Lewis. Um, and, uh, and, and, but I've also been active on local level. I've been an activist with Atlanta Public Schools supporting our elementary school. And now my kids are older um, for our, at our neighborhood level. Uh, and I am also a mom. So I'm a mom to two amazing kids, Gavin, and he is 15, and Hayden, she is 13, or she will be in a couple of months, but I'm already seeing the peaks of a, of a 13-year-old girl peeking out, although she still likes to hang out with me and will still regularly give me hugs, so no complaints there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So as you said, you're running for Georgia Labor Commissioner. Tell us why you're running. Oh, that's a that's a great question, um, and and uh, and part of it is kind of deeply embedded with the pandemic. I mean, we've gone through 
the worst crisis of our generation, of our parents' generation, 20,000 Georgians died. And more than half a million Georgians lost their job. And I'm running because when the pandemic first hit, I thought it's reasonable that there are going to be some bumps in the road as the Department of Labor responded to this crisis. That's reasonable. But what we've seen is the depth of suffering that many people went through when they lost their job was largely unavoidable. And by that, I mean, between the Great Recession ending and the start of the pandemic, our current labor commissioner cut staffing in half. He chose not to use a federal grant to upgrade the technology that runs our unemployment system, which is ancient. And these two things created a disaster when the pandemic hit. And 14 months later, well, gosh, we're going on 15 months now, the department is still taking four to six months, months to process claims and has a backlog of 80,000 people. And people, I've, I've talked to people and they talk about calling the Department of Labor over and over again, and no one answers the phone and no one responds to emails. And career centers, which are run by the Department of Labor and are designed to help people polish their resumes and get new jobs are closed. There are 40 career centers across Georgia. All of them are closed and we can do better. Georgians deserve better. So I'm uniquely qualified for this position because of the business that I built. And I have a deep understanding of what jobs are in demand and how to get people skilled up for those jobs. I believe we both need to strengthen our safety net, which is the unemployment system, but we also need to, and, and we need to do that so that it tracks fraud as well as processes claims quickly. But we also need to build more ladders so that there are more better jobs for Georgians and that fewer people need the safety net. And I have a plan to do both of those things. And that's that's why I'm running and why I'm excited about excited about this position. Yeah, that that's that's awesome. Well, Nicole, what about that perspective where folks are saying, no. Not so much the pandemic's behind us. People really just need to get a job. And, you know, I get it. They didn't get their check, but they don't really need that check. They just need to go out and, and, and get that job. And I hear you about the career centers, but, you know, if we start doing all of that, that's going to, that, that safety net talk, all that's really not what we need. You know, people by nature sometimes are just lazy and I personally believe that these people don't want to work. They'd much rather yeah. have a check. What do you say when someone says that to you? Oh gosh, I can go in this a few different ways. Let me start with let me let me start with a reminder for everyone. And that is I want to talk about unemployment and that it's designed to be a safety net and a temporary solution. Our state unemployment benefits during the pandemic last for six months. The federal unemployment benefits are scheduled to end September 6th, although in Georgia, they're going to end on uh, the end of June instead. So it's important to point out that 
unemployment's temporary. And if you receive unemployment, you've lost a job through no fault of your own. You can't collect unemployment if you're fired or if you flippantly quit your job. You have also have had to have worked in order to contribute to the system. So remember, people have contributed to the system from which they're getting unemployment benefits. I have friends who have lost their job and I've talked to people across Georgia. And one thing they all have in common, I would say, is a desire to get back to work. I went, um, I went to a rally last week and I spoke with a woman who showed me literally a 12 page Excel spreadsheet with all the jobs she's applied for. She's got 20 years of experience as an admin, but the job she's seeing now requires a bachelor's degree. And she doesn't have a bachelor's degree. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic, but I want to remind people who are watching or listening to this that 31% of our jobs in Georgia still haven't returned. It's still a tough environment out there for job seekers. Um, so that's that's one of the things that I would say. And, and I have another perspective. Is, is it okay if I keep talking? I, oh, that's, that's what Edge the Edges is about. Nicole, right. you know that you go from <laughs> station to station, whatnot, and they cut you off. Here, it's not about the five-minute soundbite. I want to give you the time to express yourself. So All right. go for it. Go for it. Well, and, and there is a greater demand for our low-income jobs. Those are all service-oriented jobs that interact with the public. And, and these jobs are not easy. I know my first job was at Waffle House off 575 in Woodstock. And I waited tables all through college and to my parents' dismay for the year after college. And I was really terrible at it, but it helped pay the tuition and the rent. Um, and when you look at why some people are resistant to applying for a job, I think one of the factors is those are low income jobs. And today, the research around why people aren't returning to jobs is because of two things. One is fear. Yeah. Georgia has the second lowest vaccination rate in the country. Again, 20,000 Georgians died from COVID. So I'm sure that people who um, will watch our, uh, our interview know someone who became very sick or died. And for some people, the risk of getting sick is not offset by what they're being paid for work. So fear is a factor. The second thing, and we don't talk enough about this, um, is childcare. Child care has gone up 116%. And this is relevant because the number of people laid off during the pandemic were working moms and dads. Um, and child care, gosh, child care was expensive before the pandemic. I remember looking forward to my kids being kindergartners so I didn't have to pay for preschool. But seeing that cost more than double makes it difficult to go back to work for jobs that don't pay well. And I mean, I was, and also you've got, you've got transportation issue too. I was at a job fair today talking with somebody who said that MARTA still hasn't ramped back up completely. And they're like, I can get to a job, but, uh, but my take-home pay ends up being $38 because I've spent money on getting, taking Uber to and from the job. So, 
I'm not saying that there's not anybody out there who is using this extra time, who's staying at home and is like, I'm just going to wait till my benefits run out. Let's assume that there probably is a small portion that are, that's doing that. But I think it's, I think that that, that painting everyone with that broad of a brush is an easy answer and it's not fully accurate. And, um, you know, part of part of etching the edges is that we should talk about all of these contributing factors. Because if we have more honest conversations about it, we can have more honest conversations about solutions. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants to be able to have a great job that they love and to be able to provide for their family. Like, I, th- I think that's the core of what most of us believe. So that's where I'm at. I, I totally agree. I think um, it's an easy thing to say that we can all agree that people really want to thrive. You yeah. Know, that, that statement that someone wants to sit back and just collect a check or the myth of the welfare queen, that's just not really a thing. And I think a lot of folks often, to your point, lose sight of the fact that a lot of the low income paying jobs, you've got these barriers, there's these, these little pieces of resistance preventing them from living that full life and being employed bottom line. And often enough, when you're getting that check, you still have to supplement it because you need the the state or the the government to be a bridge and help you still live because that that wage isn't enough. And that takes us to a different conversation altogether, right? About, About wages and whatnot. So we won't dive in all of that. We don't want to go that far afield, but I think it just adds credence to the point that you're making that Folks need help. Yes, yes. And, and, and the other thing you're kind of alluding to that, that Georgia leaders need to be talking about is Georgia brags about its great unemployment rate. Our underemployment rate is one of the worst in the country. Right. And that's particularly true with black and brown communities who kind of suffer the repercussions of discrimination that result in underemployment. Like we're not talking enough about how to get people who are underemployed in the jobs that they're qualified for. And that is, we're missing opportunities for tax revenue to go back so we can build better roads, have better school systems. Like there's, um, I think a Department of Labor that is high functioning is going to talk about a, a, a strong unemployment system. I again come back to the ladders. Like yeah. we need more better jobs, and we need conversations around uh, around success being more than just a low unemployment level. Success needs to be inclusive of of more people having living wages, more people being in professions and careers that they're excited about. And this is gonna become more relevant as AI takes over and begins to replace a lot of those low paying jobs. So I think it's a bigger dialogue. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I love the way you you couched it. Full disclosure, Nicole and I have uh, had a discussion before and we've covered some of this ground, but I'm really passionate about STEM and STEAM. I have an IT background. And when you talk about doing the necessary work of bringing the technology up to spec, it just lends itself to me to thinking about how I've always viewed software development as the new blue collar opportunity. 
Because even as AI takes over, there's so many new dimensions of technical activity that's, that's just opening up. And that's an opportunity for somebody somewhere. And to your point, those ladders, that those ladders that would go into communities, those at-risk communities or those black and brown communities that you're talking about, where a lot of those folks just, they don't believe, you know, they're not marketed it to. They don't, they don't, uh, they have no comprehension of a, of a labor department that would do something like that for somebody like them or that <laughs> they're even qualified or have the opportunity to get into such a position. Uh, you know, so I, I just want to, I just want to throw that out there and applaud you for even stating that, that that's something that you would want to get into. And that leads me to my, my next question, right? Um, you talk about systemic racism. So, you know, clearly you believe that it's real. But yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I watched it, but like I, my kids are in Atlanta public schools right, and right. my children attended Springdale Park Elementary. Well, Springdale Park Elementary is, in the in like is in Virginia Highland, which is in this you know fairly affluent community. So whatever we couldn't get from regular funds, I mean, we'd raise a few hundred thousand dollars. And the school down the street, less than two miles away from us, their regular fundraising was maybe a thousand or so, maybe. And that gets to that that systemic racism that that yeah I, like that, my head just goes to the most obvious example that I am seeing every day yeah. um and on the other side of the divide Nicole that you know systemic racism isn't real it's a it's a it's a lack of black folks you know recognizing that this is the greatest government and experiment in in governance and the greatest economy human history and because black people and brown people are i don't know too ignorant to understand or or won't lean in and, and take advantage of these opportunities that's not our fault what, what do you and, and, and again that 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 leads them to the statement that they've picked up in whichever echo chamber right that systemic racism is a fallacy that's it's not a real thing what do you, what do you say to those folks because you know you're going to encounter them and you're going to say this systemic racism thing and they're just going to shake their head at you. What do you say to that? I don't know that I have a good answer because I, I think a challenge, I mean, this is why you do this. Right. The, our, the challenge we face is we're all talking at one another. And it's really, it's a challenge for, the, it is a challenge for me to kind of wrestle with somebody who doesn't recognize that one. Like last, it was last week, the NFL on the concussion, uh, the concussion policy. I, I, I wish I had this at my fingertips, but there, do you know what I'm talking about, Derek? That, uh, that there was a, a different threshold for awarding uh, black athletes uh, concussion damages and benefits um, because they were, uh, because they're, they're, the, the systemic racism is, well, they're already, they're not as bright. So, you know, we can't, it's hard for us to tell. Um, like that was last week. Yes. Last week. Yes. Yes. So I think that, um, 
I think the kind of conversations that we can have are around, let's think about your experiences and let's compare that with your black or brown neighbor. Like if you ask a white person if they're ever scared for their life when they're pulled over for speeding, the answer is no, no. My, like my assumption is that uh, that I will, not only am I not scared, that I'll probably be able to talk my way out of it if I smile and, you know, and, and try and be charming, which <laughs> that's not the experience of my black and brown friends. Like, like I, you know, so, so I think those kind of conversations of, have you had this conversation with, uh, with a black person in your life? And, and, and then you get into how many black people are in their lives. Like it's, yeah. And especially, I mean, and that's a challenge in Georgia because, and I think you and I have talked about this, our communities in Georgia are so segregated. They're so segregated, yep. which, which makes those, which makes it harder. It does, it does. But I think, um, and, and, and I'm gonna go ahead and, and throw this out there just so I can make sure that you understand and I, and have you reassured that what you just said is the right thing, Nicole. So quite honestly, it's the conversations. You gotta be able to lean into discomfort. You have to be willing to be transparent. And though many of us, you know, we're, we're etching the edges on that too. I live in a neighborhood of all kinds of ethnicities. I didn't grow up in one. I'm from the Southwest <laughs> side of Atlanta. And I'm starting to see more mixing down on that end as well. It, it bodes well for where we want to go. But in order to address that and have that understanding, you got to consider perspective. You got to talk to people who are different from you. You've got to ask them, what's been your experience? And that's when we get to the truth, right? Yeah. I've experienced yeah. racism time and time again, as you know and can tell, it doesn't keep a smile off my face. But I, I know it, it's real, I've, I've, I've dealt with it. I've been called out my name in my own neighborhood. And that, that's a very, very, very yeah. raw thing. It's a raw thing. You know, I've been told to go back to Africa where you're from. I'm, I'm no, but I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to say no. Of course that's happened. Of course that's happened. Yeah. It's just, yes. it, it. But you're like, but, but bear in mind and see, that's where the conversation comes into play. I appreciate you saying no, because it shouldn't have happened. But it did. Yeah. 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 I, I do think, and you're getting at this a little bit, um, is that we is that the white, the white allies, what we can do is we need to get better. Like it's on us to get better at this conversation. It's absolutely like that's the part we can play as right. allies is to not be afraid to learn, to kind of learn how to have these conversations and, and to push. So, and, and not, and to not be accepting that, you know, it's like, and I'm seeing my kids are starting to, are starting to figure out how they can be an ally, even at a young age. Um, and some, we were at, we were at a, an event and, um, and, a relative was complaining to my son uh, about, oh, they're going to change Grady High School's name. Oh, that's just terrible. I can't believe they're doing that. And my son looked up at him and he, and he said, like, but, you know, of course they are. He was a racist. 
And that was the end. And I was like, and he was 14 at the time. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Like to him, he's like, yeah, why would we keep that name? That's terrible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that gives me hope for each successive generation. You know, I, I can still feel, I feel my age too, but I also feel that as time has gone by, at some point I was like that. And I thought we would be a lot further along. But uh, another full disclosure, uh, Nicole and I share the same party, but um, we put a person in power that I think it was necessary for him to go there because it turned the rock over. And yeah. we thought we yeah. were a lot further along. We, we, we were not. It's just that some folks kept their racism to themselves and they hid it. I think we're better off for it. It's a charged road that we're walking. But to your point, we're getting a lot of education out of it. I am yeah. better as a person of color, a black man, to express myself in a manner that's not fearful, that drives people away. And with my white brothers and sisters and my allies, they're understanding that, look, you, don't, you do own some things, but you don't get to tell me how to express myself or tell me how to solve my problems. You get to help me solve my problems and we can love each other around that concept and that activity. And that's the right thing to do. And I don't think we'd ever have gotten here if Obama had not claimed the White House. I think we'd probably be still thinking we were 30 years ahead. And clearly. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Like the Black Lives Matter movement was so important for Black lives and for and for white people to be like, oh, like, like it forced that like. Uh, Trump shook out the dirt, yeah, and then um, and 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 then as people spoke out and and kind of voiced the this is our reality that we're experiencing, it was a great wake up call. It's it's just a great it's a great wake up call for all for Absolutely. for for all of us. I think across uh, uh, you know black white whatever whatever it, it was a great. It's a, it's, it's a, it's gave, um, it gave great voice to the black community and it was a good kick in the pants for the white community. All of so. it, all of it needed. And I think to your point, we, we we're waking up to it. It was the kick that was needed. I kind of like to think of it that we're awake now, not woke, mm -hmm. we're awake and we're still rising up out of the bed because I think Georgia is a great state. I have Republican friends, I still have them. We can have conversations around anything. They know I'm the kind of guy that, look, if you, if I promise you, I will try my best not to upset you, but we can talk about Trump. I know you well enough to know you would not want him to date your daughter. Um, so that means we can have a conversation around how this, this, and don't be offended, this cult of personality built up around him and how you, you're doing things that normally you wouldn't do or you wouldn't uphold. So can we just have an honest conversation around that? Because I still believe that there's common ground between us. And if I tell you, I think you need to go ahead and cast your ballot for Nicole, I think we can have a decent conversation as to why that makes better sense than something different. You know, I think those are kind of hard, difficult, leaning into discomfort conversations we've got to have not with just within our party, but outside of it, those that are independent and those that are in the GOP, because they recently had their conference, right? And a lot came out of that. Yeah. <laughs> turned out to be something quite interesting. And if you might, could you share your perspective on the GOP conference and the state of that party and, and how it still has such a 
hold on the state of Georgia and what that means for you in, in, in your in your running for office. And I'm going to give you, I, I know I just hit you with a lot. That's yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, as much as I consider myself proudly a progressive Democrat, there is value in having a healthy two-party system. There is value in a dot, like, I have Republican friends. uh, One of my good, good friends said to me once, and I think this is so true. We both have the same goals, Nicole. We both want a stronger, healthier state. We want to be able to provide for our families. We want to feed the poor. Like, she's this she's this really good, generous person. She's like, we have the same goals. We have different methodologies that we think will get us to those goals. Um, and the benefit of a, two, a healthy two-party system is that push and pull of dialogue over, this is, what, this is what I want. It forces you to justify and rethink your actions and take into account new information coming from you, from the other side. And that's healthy. Um, A cult of personality is not a party. And and the fact that in 2020, they didn't have much of a platform. Like like that, I, 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 so things will evolve. Things will change. This will not stay the same. But I I am rooting for a strong second party. I'm rooting for a good competitor because a good competitor makes you stronger. So that is where where I am. Um, Relative though to my position, I have the the luxury of being in a position that I think for the vast majority of people, this shouldn't be a political position. I think most everyone, and, and there will be people who are like, I don't believe in unemployment. I don't want it there. And that's, those are on the fringe. And, and you know, we have fringes on both sides. But the vast majority of people are like, there should be an unemployment system so that when I lose my job through no fault of my own, not through me being fired for poor performance or whatever, through no fault of my own, I, that I have some that I will have paid in because it's, you know, that's dollars that could have gone to my salary are going in um, to make sure that my rent is paid and my car is paid for while I look for a new purpose. That's, we shouldn't, I don't think there's much, uh, there's many objections to that system. So to talk about a system that, that to update the system so that we track fraud and we process claims quickly that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be political. And I would say my second goal of more better jobs for Georgia, and the way I'm doing that is through, we don't have a robust apprenticeship program in Georgia, which is ridiculous. Um, Both sides of the aisle believe in that. Um, and, uh, And more small businesses and doing that through, there are five states that have what's called a self-employment assistance program. And Mississippi is actually one of those states. And this is where instead of looking for a new job 
to work with a new company, you come and you say, I've got an idea for to start my own business. And you work with the Department of Labor and the Small Business Association to write out your plan and get it launched. We should, we should enable people to do that. I believe and those two things will help. And ho- hopefully those will also help underemployment as well. But those are not political discussions. People on both sides of the aisle are for more better jobs for Georgians. So that's where I think I can connect on that. And uh, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that takes me back to one of the things that you have as your important issues in your platform. When you talk about trying to generate opportunity and jobs from entrepreneurship, and, and we recognize, you know, at a conversation level, when we leave party out, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, to your point, everybody tends to agree. But we also know that when we go back into trying to make some of these things active, politics comes into play. And um, when it comes down to my team versus your team in this ascetic environment, what are you going to do, Nicole, to work your way through that? You know, because a lot of us, you know, we don't understand the machinations around how some of these things work, but you got to pass laws. You know, mm-hmm. you know, even though, you know, I don't spend my life under the gold dome, but I do know that folks sometimes just get older, they don't grow up. So when they're in positions of authority, you know, Nicole's the Democrat and she's looking to get a win here. And, and yeah, I support starting, you know, businesses, but not on her watch. You know, anything but a Democrat. Well, those, there will be those people who I'm never going to be able to win over. But I think that, um, I think that when I, I am going to partner with businesses and I think bringing in businesses to help to help make that argument of we need more apprenticeship programs. We, you know, small businesses create other other, uh, contractor opportunities and vendor opportunities related to that. So you get the chamber in as part of the conversation. So that if, if we, I care more about making change than I care about being the person who gets the win. I mean, I want to get credit if I can, but if it's credit versus the win, I'm going for the win. Yes. Um, yes. So, so I, and, and, and I think this, this goes back to etching the edges. How can you create a win for, for how can you make the pie big enough so that we can all get a win Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and being open to having those conversations? Yes. And what you called out when you create those ancillary revenue streams, Multiple businesses do things like that. You know, one business spawns like two or three others. So that's yeah. all generating revenue. It's putting food on the on the table for people. And to your point, I love how you said bring the chamber to the to the table. I'm always about telling the story. So one of the things that I would definitely add is, you know, effective marketing around that type of concept, right? Telling the mm-hmm. story that this is what we really need and this is what happens because the tide will start to roll. And no matter what side you're on, you can't stand against that tide. That's gonna that's gonna get the job over the finish mark. And I just want to tell you, I appreciate your perspective. It's critically important. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to also ask you about, you know, you, you mentioned it already, the Department of Labor as a resource. And you know, you mentioned these centers to to help people get up and stand up on their on their own two feet. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? That's a 
that's a big change because it would be it would go from a person who, like you said, shut all this down because I guess he's a fiscal conservative and he doesn't want to spend money. I think that's yeah. I think that's absolutely how he was judging this. Is I'm I'm going to be conservative, um, but I would say you're also being short sighted um, because, uh, with the exception of three times. Uh, since 1835, every uh, every eight years, there's a recession, and it's the job of the Department of Labor to be there to prepare for that recession. And we were due; we were due. Yeah. Um. So the career centers, and uh, you know, do the basic of let me help you polish your resume. Um, but I think we can do more. So those career centers should be able to, this is where we get into the apprenticeship program, should help you figure out the kind of apprenticeship program you need. Ideally, we are also working across departments uh, so that we can talk about how do you get to and from your job? What is childcare looking like? You know, like we, it's silly to think that when you talk about a job, you are really just talking about nine to five. Like it's holistic. You have to think about how you get there, what happens with your kids, you know, like, and I think an effective department of labor commissioner has that more holistic view and is looking to build partnerships. I mean, I'm having breakfast next week with a school board member who wants to talk with me about how the Department of Labor could work with our high schools. Like that's, we need to think big. We need to not be afraid to think big. And that's, that's where I am. That's where I, I, I am. Like that. That's, that's powerful, Nicole. I think we talked about that before. I'm, I'm also one of those I think big type thinkers and I get tired of people telling me, Derek, you're always trying to boil the ocean. Well, someone needs to try, you know. Someone. <laughs> and, and I think when you when you talk about what you said there, from urban to rural, from one end of the state to the other, there's so much opportunity to inject into these communities when you're saying, I'm going to partner with the local school, I'm going to pair them up with the chamber, I'm going to talk yeah. about, you know, you, you need a couple of plumbers here. You need a couple of folks to do the infrastructure work for the roads. You need some electricians. Oh my goodness, really, you do need some IT people. You need some yeah. folks down there in those spaces that will just do straight software development. And they can do it in high school. And if they're above 16 or 15, whatever the, 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 the age of, of, of acceptance is, then let that person work on a website. I remember I coached kids that made $3,000 building websites per. And that was, a, I think that was a 14 year old kid that I was uh, coaching in a class down when I was at uh, Georgia Tech. And it, it blew me away because I was like, he, he's getting paid what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I do yeah. this for a living. Um, let me hire you for a minute. That, you know, that's, and, and it's awesome. But it, it's that kind of, I guess, outside innovative guerrilla thinking that we kind of need to say, look, you know, um, you do want to be righteous and, 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 you know, save money appropriately. You do want to do that. You want to manage funds. You want to be, you know, a good steward. You want to do that, but you got to spend money to make money. And you need to be critical about the investments that you make because again, this is a great state and there are brilliant people from one end of it to the other. They're just not being given the opportunity to prove it. And so yeah. you got to do that. 
And I think that, I also think that the solutions are going to be different depending on what part of the state you're in. We need to be thoughtful about that. The partnerships will be different depending on where we are. You know, what works in Atlanta and Metro Atlanta, you know, is not going to necessarily work in Unadilla, Georgia. Like, it's going to be different. So um, that's, but that's the kind of thing that, that's the kind of problem that gets me excited in the morning to tackle. Like, I, I just... Yeah. I love digging into this stuff. And I, and cause I believe that good government builds good community and that kind of guiding principle of this is what we should be doing. We should be building community helps, helps inform the way I approach problems. That's a powerful statement. And I, I like the way you say it. Good government builds good community, builds good people. And yeah. I just want to go ahead and say this just right mm -hmm. off the top right here. Right. So we've been talking and you don't sound like a politician. And I've said that to others. I think I might've mentioned that to you before too. I, I'm right now in, as I go forward from this point, 2021 forward, I'm not voting for politicians anymore. I'm voting for statesmen. I'm voting for people who understand that this is an opportunity to make positive change. I really don't care which party you're from. I'm actually in one and I represent one and I'm gonna advocate for one, but like you said, we need good, strong people on the other side too, who are willing yeah. to into discomfort and do the right thing. But if you're doing the right thing, you won't be representing that connotative definition of what we say when we talk about a politician. You're going to be an, an aspiring statesman. And you know, Nicole, I, I just want to tell you right now, from what you're telling me, everything you're saying, you sound like an aspiring statesman. I'm going to go ahead and give you that yeah. point right now. Thank you. Absolutely. That means a lot to me. I try. Now, I, I'm going to need you to share your website, your handles, oh, yeah. talk about how folks can support you. you you've got to do that before we close out. So please, I'm, I'm turning it over to you. Let everybody know okay. where to go. Um, the website is Nicole Horn for Georgia, all spelled out, Horn like a trumpet, H-O-R-N, um, and Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. Um, so NicoleHornForGeorgia.com. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, Nicole Horn. And, um, and I am on Twitter at Nicole Horn, the number for GA. Um, so I, I hope you'll follow me, join me in this. Um, I'm in the process of just gathering people who want to go on this journey with me. And for some people, it's going to be um, it's going to be canvassing. For some people, it's going to be building a coalition. I'm, you know, I want to build coalitions across the state. Uh, for others, um, it's going to be helping me fundraise because it's the dirty side of politics. Is it, it? We need the money in order to get the message out. But um, if you're interested, please reach out. Um, whenever people. Uh, Whenever people send a sign up for the mailing list, if they if they put a comment, I I reach out and follow up. Somebody somebody um, sent me a comment that they didn't like something on my website, and so I called her and we had this very long conversation about my website. Um, and and um, and she her feedback. My initial website had lots of serious pictures of me, and. Uh, 
I've got more smiling pictures now, but I mean, that's, that's like low and kind of a, a shallow example, but I've also, um, those kind of comments coming through the website, uh, have also given me the opportunity to talk with people about their experiences with unemployment, um, what they're looking for, what they're hoping for. And part of this journey for me is having those conversations. It's, exciting, informative. I may not always agree, but I will always listen. Absolutely. That is outstanding. Nicole, thank you for taking the time to speak with us on Edges today. It was excellent. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Perspective, the story. What is the story? These are the things that matter. This is no game. We have the power to choose, to decide what kind of world we will live in. How do we get it done? Well, we do the work. We ensure our officials address the real problem. Not symptoms, not fabrications, nevertheless. Perspectives matter. Statesmen over politicians. We really need to take the time to step out of our echo chambers and see things from the opposite side. Be honest, answer the real questions, the tough questions, etch the edges, and close the divide. We must thank Nicole Horn for etching the edges with us today. Remember, her website is www.nicolehornforgeorgia.com. And we want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. So please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Etch the Edges. And don't forget to visit our website at EtchTheEdges.com. Check us out. Join the movement. Express your commitment to the cause. Cause for a better America, a better world. Where we all can stand together at the mountaintop. Do it for America. Do it for the world. Be good to yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time.